Welcome to How My Country Works with your host, Stephen O'Shea. Next up, it's a special bonus episode, Australia Revisited. Whilst we're working through the different countries of the world in this podcast, I think that every so often it's important to reflect on and revisit certain nations. We did this recently when we looked back at Afghanistan after the country had been retaken by the Taliban. However, it's not just revolutions and coups that can dramatically reshape countries and their political systems. The global pandemic has exposed politicians and their citizens to a whole range of new powers. But what has interested me is how these new powers have shaped political dynamics. And nowhere has this been more evident than in Australia. The Southern Hemisphere nation is a federal system of government, something we delved into in greater detail in a previous episode, but has seen the relationship between its central government or Commonwealth and its state government shift dramatically in the last couple of years. Joining me on the show today to explore how this is affecting politics on a day-to-day basis is Amanda Kopp, the political reporter for the Community Radio Network and National Radio News. She is based in the Federal Press Gallery in Parliament House in the country's capital, Canberra, and she is also the host of the weekly political podcast, Bubble Pop. But before I'm joined by Amanda, and to help set the scene a little bit, I'm speaking with Dr. Stephen Wilkes at the Australian National University about the history of federal politics in Australia. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'm delighted to be here to talking about questions of the history of federalism and so on. One of my favourite subjects, not everyone's, but that's me. (laughs) Well, then you're the perfect guest for this bonus episode then. Could you just give us a bit of context around Australian federalism? It tends to be compared with the United States, which really is the progenitor of the modern concept of federalism. So I might just take the US as a comparator. It's a good comparator in some respects, in other respects in terms of scale and so on. It's a little, perhaps a little too different, but it'll do. Well, both Australia and the United States have absolutely true federal systems, two layers of government, defined responsibilities for each of those layers. But the second layer, the state layer, is in effect sovereign. They're not local governments which can be abolished by the national government. In a legal sense, they are comparable, strict legal sense, theoretically, they're quite comparable to the federal government. The other interesting thing and a commonality of the US, the Australian states have their origins as British colonies, rather like the original 13 states of the United States. They predate the nation and it's their coming together in a federation which created the nation. Right. That's a really interesting observation. And so how are the states represented at the federal level? We developed a Senate based on the United States Senate. US Senate, every state, all 50, from Rhode Island and Montana at one end up to Texas and California at the other, all have two senators. Now, we have 12 senators for each of our states, the same for Tasmania as New South Wales. Right. So it gives all states equal weighting in the Senate, regardless of their population or land size. But why is there a split between the federal and state governments? Is it just to do with money? Broadly speaking, a growth of federal power, particularly fiscal power in Australia. In Australia, for example, nowadays our states only raise about roughly a third of their own revenue. The rest they get from federal grants or from uh, what's known as the goods and services tax, an indirect tax levied by the Commonwealth, but which goes back to the states. Mm. And that's different to the US states that raise a lot of their own income. Any other key differences? 
we've never created any new states, despite the fact that our constitution has quite a uh, prominent provision for that. We've never created new states. The Americans, have, as we know, have risen from 13 states right up to the grand total of 50. Um, it's quite an extraordinary thing. If you brought back the fathers of the Australian Federation back to uh, Australia in 2021, they, we said, well, what surprises you the most about what you see? One of the first things I think they'd say is, well, where are the new states? That's so interesting. I never thought about it like that. So apart from money, what is really the role of the federal government or Commonwealth that the states couldn't just do? Commonwealth-led coordination. This is the Commonwealth trying, using its informal authority, its status, to say to the states, let's all get together, we've got to do that. That's usually been led by the Commonwealth, although there are instances of states themselves getting together without the Commonwealth. But you've had things like the Council of Australian Governments, or more recently, the uh, what's been known as the National Cabinet of the Commonwealth saying, let's all get together, we'll lead you, we'll cajole you, coordinate, it's, it's in the national interest. That, that's got a pretty mixed history. It's really a story of ongoing friction, and I doubt if it's ever going to be resolved, although COVID has certainly uh, shocked quite a few people in terms of its uh, implications for federal-state relations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Stephen. As you've just mentioned the pandemic, I might bring in Amanda, who's going to chat us through how things have evolved in the relationship more recently. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been great fun. Thanks to you as well, Stephen. Well, welcome on, Amanda. Thank you very much for having me. Good to be here. Well, Amanda, I was hoping we might just jump straight in. If you could give us your perspective on how you think the pandemic has shaped the relationship between the states and the Commonwealth. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's changed a lot and definitely given a totally new perspective to many Australians about how their state functions and particularly how it functions in relation to the Commonwealth government. So, you know, we were, we were saying before that uh, before the pandemic, no one would have known the name of a lot of the state premiers um, around the country. I certainly didn't. So it was good to kind of to get that. And that has definitely changed. I mean, I guess that the biggest change is national cabinet, a word that has has been thrown around for the last 18 months. So to give a bit of background, that replaced COAG or the Council of Australian Governments, which essentially was a kind of, I think it was bi-yearly or tri-yearly, um, but they they would meet semi-regularly to kind of discuss various things happening between state and Commonwealth governments. That has now been scrapped. It was widely seen as pretty slow. And so I think that National Cabinet is going to be something that we see as, you know, hopefully speeding up a lot of those processes. And I guess, you you know, with National Cabinet, I think we've kind of seen different kind of iterations of it. I think at the beginning, it was this kind of new, fresh, hyper-efficient thing where, you know, they were meeting every single day. They were making these massive decisions that, you know, would have previously taken years <laughs> to decide on. So that was kind of the original iteration of it. But I think as we've gone through the pandemic, that that has sort of seemed to shift and change and probably get a little bit worse, I think. So you sort of started having these kind of disagreements within National Cabinet, people kind of throwing their weight around, a lot of sort of political decisions were being made as opposed to, you know, what was necessarily best for, for all Australians. And I think at the moment, we've kind of gotten to a space where it feels like, at least from observing from the outside, like everyone's just a bit tired. <laughs> 
they've kind of gotten you know gotten over working with each other and they kind of just want to go back to you know what they were originally doing before the pandemic which is probably how the rest of Australia is is feeling as well so yeah it's it's been an interesting time for sure <laughs> yeah i'm sure a lot of australians can sympathize with being tired of covid what do you feel like it has exposed and what could you see carrying on past the pandemic I think, again, we're going to have to kind of wait and see, but I think it's sort of brought to light the power that a lot of the states actually still retain. So I think a lot of the time, most Australians, if they're paying attention to politics, are mostly paying attention to, to federal politics, other than, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of state political nerds out there. But most of the time, it's it's the federal politics that people are paying attention to. But I think a lot of the time people forget that the states have a huge amount of power, and particularly power on everyday things like education, like health, like roads, those kinds of things that you use every day. So yeah, I think I, I wonder whether we're going to see the states kind of throwing around that power a little bit more in the future. And how do you see the federal government react to this slight power grab by the states, some of whose premiers are now incredibly popular. I think there's definitely going to be that kind of push from the Commonwealth government in terms of reasserting that power. But, you know, I think that, yeah, it was just it was just one of those strange times where you kind of think that the Commonwealth government has all of this incredible power that is, you know, overarching and kind of trumps the state power. But then, you know, you had that example in terms of building quarantine facilities, which, you know, usually is, is the purview of the Commonwealth government. But also when it came to borders, right? Like, you know, we had the kind of national reopening plan and the prime minister got up, Scott Morrison got up and said, okay, it's time to, it's time to reopen. This is happening. And there's been a lot of states like Queensland and WA that have said, nah, actually, like that's not going to fly. So yeah, it has been a really interesting time. Yeah. It's been fascinating, but at the same time, the Commonwealth has demonstrated a lot of its own power as well, right? We have also seen this incredible power for the Commonwealth to kind of make these huge nation-changing decisions just at the drop of a hat. So at least for me, some of those kinds of moments were right at the beginning of the pandemic. I think that's when it really started showing is just the power of the Commonwealth is, you know, we had those kind of wild, like daily press conferences from the Prime Minister, you know, they were getting up at like 11pm, things were changing every hour. I think when they closed the border, that was huge. And just again was kind of like whoa you know this is going to have massive implications for for me and for my family and for so many other people in our multicultural country and then you know lockdown was crazy I mean I remember the prime minister listing all of the places that were going to close and all the businesses that were going to close and that was just like you know you're just sitting there thinking like gosh like <laughs> what is going to be left you know and then I think particularly again going on the on the power of the commonwealth was job keeper uh, was probably the biggest one. It was one of, if not the most expensive government policy in Australian history. Originally was supposed to cost $130 billion, which is just an astronomical amount of, of money, right? You know, when we kind of think of other things, right, like the entire ABC yearly, I think costs $1 billion, right? You know, times that by 130, right? Crazy. It Now it has turned out that it's only cost $70 billion, so not quite as enormous as it was before. Yeah, I think people have forgotten some of the hugely monumental things that have happened that just now seem so commonplace. And this also exposed a lot of divisions between the parties as well. How do you think this will shape the coming election? I think it could kind of go both ways. I think it really depends on what the parties see as politically advantageous at the moment. On the one hand, you have the kind of 
part of Australia that is, I think, fundamentally quite anxious and worried about the future. And I think that if you start kind of implementing cutbacks to services and, you know, raising taxes, that sort of thing, that that starts freaking people out in terms of what their quality of living is going to be in those kinds of circumstances. On the other hand, the Liberals hate being in debt. And as we have seen before, kind of have previously made that their major policy platform in terms of getting the Australian economy back on track. So we could see that as well. I suspect, bizarrely, what we will see is the Liberals always try and paint Labor as bad economic managers. And so I feel like we're going to have this bizarre scenario where the Liberals have gotten us into this huge debt, like almost impossibly large debt, and are going to say, you can't vote for Labor. To be fair, you know, when it comes to that sort of macroeconomics, spending money in an economic crisis is exactly the right kind of thing to do. Things get a lot worse if governments hold back in those kinds of scenarios. So it was the right thing to do. But yeah, I think it's going to have some interesting implications for how they play it in in the next election. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a great summary. Thanks so much for your time today, Amanda. You are most welcome. I think that's also a perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guests, Dr. Stephen Wilkes and Amanda Kopp. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram at HowMyCountryWorks for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know. This podcast is produced by Stephen O'Shane and sound editing is by Lucy Bess. See you next time and remember to keep asking How My Country Works.